Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. Well, it might be the whiskey talking, might be the wine, but I think that I found someone I can settle down with all my life. Once bitten and twice shy, I've been through the worst, now I want to make you mine. A country house and a family We can have that beautiful life Well, it might be the whiskey talking Might be the wine But I think that I found someone I can settle down with All my life I've been running from the light Only darkness till you came around Now I've been found I've been found A country house and a family We can have that beautiful life Well, it might be the whiskey talking Might be the wine But I think that I found someone I can settle down with All my life I've been running from the light Only darkness till you came around Now I've been A country house and a family We can have that beautiful life Well, it might be the whiskey talking Might be the wine But I think that I found someone I can settle That was a song called Found by Alberta country sensation Dan Davidson. The song was produced by Jeff Delziel, who just happens to be my very special guest this week. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. My guest this week is Jeff Delziel, a multi-platinum and award-winning Canadian record producer, Sony ATV songwriter, and musician. Jeff is a huge supporter of Canadian music and artists, and he has produced and co-written music for labels including Warner Music Canada, Sony Music Canada, Slate Music and Wax Records, as well as some amazing artists such as The Washboard Union, Jessica Mitchell, Dan Davidson, Chris LaBelle, Johnson's Creek, Brett Kissel, Tupelo Honey, Aaron and Amy Allen, Abby Stewart, Jim Cuddy, and many, many more. Please welcome to the show, Jeff Delziel. All right. My guest this week on Musicians FAQ is Jeff Delziel. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, sir. Hey, man. It's my pleasure. Uh, looking forward to our chat. Um, I've had a couple of guests on now that uh, that I believe you've worked with and produced uh, with uh, Aaron Allen and Amy Allen and, and Abby Stewart prior to that. Uh, Very nice. So I thought it might be a kind of a nice little uh, wrap up to have you in uh, shortly after their interviews and uh, 
So um, what we'd like to do with this interview, I mean, just always go back to the beginning and kind of find out where the influences were. Uh, where were you born? What was your childhood like? Yeah, uh, I was born in Fresno, California. So I'm actually a dual citizen still. Funny enough, I'm so, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I really, really, really support Canadian talent. Like everybody that plays on my singles or records or I try to make it 100% Canadian all the time. It's funny because I'm actually half American. So uh, it's, um, but I was, a, I'm basically a road baby, which we can get into later. So I was born in Fresno, lived there for a little while, but then there's more travels that we can get into if you want. But uh, all through this, you know, Southern States and then ended up in Clearwater, Florida, and then here in Canada. But I was pretty young still though, at the time. Okay, welcome. Yeah. And, and what, were, what were things like around, uh, around your household when you were a kid? Music. Music, music, music. My father was a musician. While he was being a musician, he actually started a management company. At the time, so he managed bands like Wednesday. Do you remember that band? I don't know if I remember them. But they had that. They put out Last Kiss as well. It did really well. It's a bunch. Of, I don't even remember the bands. I was so young at the time. Um, so there was musicians around all the time. Music, instruments. So that's why I kind of gravitated towards. Like a, I was already playing instruments by the time I was eight or something tons of different instruments but i didn't know what i was doing but they were there and it was the house was just it was musical it was very musical right cool so uh your mom as well or? no my mom um did not she was not a musician at all so she just she was i think she's a fan of music or? oh yeah, absolutely yeah. sure uh um i think at the time she was probably real estate i think at the time but that's you know and stay-at-home mom kind of thing kind right. of both yeah. Yeah. encouraging well that's good more of a practical mind though yeah uh, and any siblings at all i have a brother and a sister uh my brother's quite musical too he doesn't he didn't follow the path he's more of an into um uh he makes uh custom welded wood furniture stuff for high-end customers it's really nice my sister is uh um she works for a company in montreal or she was in montreal so that's right. that's it so all right very good. neither neither one took music I guess I was a good example. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Huh? Uh, so a lot of different instruments around. I mean, do you remember what, sort of what was the first instrument that you really took to? First instruments I took to were drums and piano because those are readily available in my house. Um, uh, I took piano lessons, but I didn't really like that vibe. I was more just, I because I had spent time just kind of meandering on the instrument. I was already kind of had it under my fingers, both drums and, key and piano. But piano, you know, everybody wants their kid to take piano lessons. So, of course, my father, being a great pianist himself, thought it might be a good thing to push me down that path. But I lost my books on purpose, and so I wouldn't have to go. Because, I, you know, I didn't like my teacher. She was kind of mean and nasty. And I didn't like that. I didn't think, I, even at a young age, I didn't think music should be boxed in. I don't know how to explain it. I'm, I, however, I wish I'd you know listen more and became more of a classical pianist but maybe not maybe that helped me just break the i don't have to sit in a box you know so. right yeah it's interesting i remember um not well i guess about 20 20 plus years ago paul mccartney started getting into some classical stuff and doing areas uh, or areas and, and things and the guy that yeah. he was working with was classically trained, obviously, and had offered to teach him how to read and write music uh, formally. And he said, I can do it pretty quickly with you. And he said, no, you know what? He goes, my my system's worked for me for years, and I don't want to jinx it. Yeah. And he goes, uh, and, I, and I think there's something for that. I mean, I've had sketch formal training along the way, but I think you tend to experiment. And like you said, push outside the box a little bit more when you have it. Yeah, I mean, I took that. Yeah, I take the approach that those greats... Um, which is an endless list. Uh, I don't really, I can't really picture them getting it. Like they don't, they didn't go to a school to study all the people that they were, you know, um, competing with at the time, let's just say, because I'm sure there was some competition there. So I, I appreciate it and I love it, but I think, I mean, I've done, we can get talk more about it. I've done over 200 plus TV shows and movies in my life as a composer. So, and I don't have any classical training either. So uh, but I, because I was immersed in such, uh, such a large amount of music growing up, including classical, I just felt it. And so it's just like, I'm just, I wasn't following the architecture that's set before us. And I, right. not that I don't, I'm not, you know, pissing on people that want to do that. I just think I now 
thinking back, I'm kind of glad I didn't go, well, you got to do it like this. You got to do it like this. And, then, and some people are just too rigid with it. And some people, I think they can learn it and then just break free of it and do their thing. So uh, mind you, having said that, maybe if I was better classically trained, I might've made things a little quicker, but they might've been, because uh, a lot of it's like trial and error and screwing it up. And, right. But uh, I somehow got on a path to do a ton, a ton of TV and movies before I was even 20. So, you know, so it's, yeah. Anyways, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So uh, training, I did take drum lessons from Sally Chappas was my, okay. she was fantastic. She was uh, one of the last drummers from blood, sweat and tears. And I knew her through my dad and tons of people. She was fantastic. So she really helped me hone my drum skills, which is my main instrument, by the way. So right. originally, so drums and piano uh, originally, and then picked up guitar later. Right. And I think that, I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, a lot of the producers that I'm aware of, um, drumming does seem to be sort of one of the main instruments. Um, keyboard, sure. Keyboards certainly help, I guess, as far as um, composing, yes. structuring, and organizing. Even, even players, like um, I've, I've worked with tons of guys over the years that were, you know, the, the main guitar player in a band are unbelievable. And then a bass player who's even currently Justin Cutting, from Brett Kissel's band. Um, he's the MD there. One of the best place players around. You got to hear him play drums and the same with a guitar player. They sit down and play and they go, what are you do? What? It's like, so I think a lot of kids, you know, there's a lot of, maybe there's something to it. I'm not saying that people aren't great guitar players because they didn't play drums. They're great guitar players without that. Right. But uh, I've often come across a lot of great musicians that started playing drums. I don't know what the connection is. Maybe it's a rhythmic thing. For me, uh, I'd rather things be in time and out of tune than in tune and out of time. So, yeah, I, maybe I, there's something to that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so now, as far as like the movie composing and, and and TV shows and things like that, was that sort of you in a room with your tools, kind of doing everything, or are you working with other musicians? Or well, no. Uh, okay, <clears throat> so yeah, this is a kind of a long answer to that, but I'll try to make it really quick because of my father. Um, I was really uh introduced to electronic music before anybody knew it really existed so before there was even an apple computer so we had a we had alpha centauri computers in our basement at home with ribbon cables coming out of it to keyboards and just crazy stuff like nobody was doing it yet and so uh so my father actually uh he was asked from his friend who developed i don't know if you remember what the fairlight is Fairlight is literally the first real big workstation of keyboard, computer, sounds, all that stuff. It was all in one. It was super expensive. But he, uh, they asked him to come and pick the piano because he was, at the time, like everybody knew him as a player. So he picked the actual keyboard that goes in this unit. So I ended up having a Fairlight in my house when I was 13, maybe. Oh, cool. And so I'm sampling. And this is the stuff like Sledgehammer and stuff like that from Peter Gabriel. So I have access to these sounds. I have no clue what I'm doing when I'm, sorry. Uh, what I'm doing that might slip out a few times. Sorry. I'll clean it up, but uh, it's just being by the time it became somewhat more commercially viable and available, I wasn't afraid of it. It was like, I was already just kind of messing around with stuff. And why can't I make this do this? I wanted to make it do this. And so when the tools got easier, so I really had the jump on electronic computer music before anybody in this country. So um, I entered into doing uh, films and, stuff because I knew that gear so well. Like, I mean, the quick answer to that is I knew it so well. I was managing drums and keyboards along McQuaid and in Oshawa. My clientele was coming from all over Ontario just because they needed to know this information. And uh, so a lot of people would, you know, I'd get bigger clients from Toronto that wanted me to put together a rig for TV and film so they can learn, so they could use that new technology, you know? And I designed the system for them, put it together, have it delivered, show up, set it up, lock it to tape, put on a car chase. And I do this drum thing and show them. They're all going, can you just come and do that for us? So that's how I kind of got into it because the musical part, I I just knew, but I also knew the computer part. And there's this young punk kid that's just, you know, not only can run the gear, but actually is as good a musician as the people buying the gear. Like I right. now thinking back, that's what it was like. I didn't know that then, but 
they're like, Hey, can you just come and do that? And so I started working with all just doesn't matter who, but tons of composers in Toronto and cut my teeth there and then started doing uh, films and TV with a, an actual partner that was originally one of those clients. And uh, we made tons and tons of stuff together. So it was, uh, it was fun. So, uh, so then the arc of that, taking that to commercial music was uh, I became the guy that to fix the problems in the analog studio, can you come and lift off all this music? So before there was pro tools, I'm lifting off multi-tracks and putting and cutting into samples on different keyboards and layers. And I used to show up to studios with four or five fridge size racks full of samplers just to pull. And it was like the matrix. There's no waveforms. I had to piece it all back together with MIDI in a computer with numbers and then play it back. And then we can add and cut and paste them. And at that point they're like, well, I just got hired for a lot of that stuff. And which let made me meet or help, allowed me to meet people in more of the record side of things. And um, then I would get called all the time to come and fix their woes. And they're like, well, you know, and that at that time, Sony was like, well, can you just come and do that with us? Can you come and stay here? And because they were already dealing with artists I've been working with in terms of writing and, and producing and stuff. So it was just like, it became a thing. So wow. I started doing programming and computer stuff for Sony, fixing their stuff. And at that point, the NR was like, yeah, can you just come and work with us forever and ever and ever? And it just, then it was all downhill from them, but. <laughs> yeah, you're like a gold mine. Yeah. Just there. Well, it, yeah, it's not. I'm nothing probably... special. I, for me, the musical part is the more special part. Like right. that's what kept me in the game. Uh, but the technology certainly got me in the door. So I, I think you know, there's a good lesson in that for everybody. Learn how to do it. Doesn't mean you have to be great at it. Just do it. Well, and if your musicality is fantastic, then you're going to stay around. Yeah. So. I think that's a lot of, a lot of people are just intimidated by it and they just see you do it and all this machinery and they just got to, I don't want to learn that. Let's just bring him in. <laughs> be a yeah, lot yeah. Well, at the time, absolutely. For sure. For sure. At the time. Uh, now people are a little less, especially the pandemic has forced artists. We can get into that. I love that because now we can speak more on musical terms rather than talking, you know, they can kind of just do something and go, I can go, okay, I get what you're talking about. Let's do it. Amazing. So that's, uh, you know, that's helpful. I think I encourage any artist out there to, just you don't need much. I mean, if you have a laptop, you probably have GarageBand already. And that GarageBand is a light version of Logic X, which is something people use. And not many people know this, but uh, Umbrella by Rihanna was pretty much done 95% in GarageBand. So it's not about the tools. It's about the song and the artist and their performance. So yeah. don't be afraid of it. Just have fun. Yeah, I've Can't heard, hurt about, it. I've heard that over the years. That many songs that you've big big hits and things that you thought were studio productions were done in garage band and simple things like that and i mean yeah, didn't kendrick kendrick lamar's producer win a grammy from a song that he did in his iphone yeah garage band thing. yeah <laughs> it's crazy, crazy. So, well, and so the tool that's what i try to tell everybody the tool they go what what system should i use it doesn't matter the tool is not going to give you the success it's it's this and uh, your heart and performances that are going to matter. It doesn't matter. So I tell people now you can give me a four track cassette thing and I'll still compete for sure. Yeah. It's about what I'm recording, not how I'm recording. Yeah. So, well, and I remember when those little task cams and, and things came out, uh, I had a Fostex and then I had a little task. Cam yeah. And I thought, wow, I've got a student. And this is back in the eighties and the little drum machine. And you know, you yeah. just, you just thought you were the shit all of a sudden. And but it's, uh, you know, and Springsteen recorded Nebraska on a little four-track task yeah. back in the 70s. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, and look what George Martin recorded on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. compared to what we have now. Well, that's so, what you're reminding me of, of, of all those, you know, when you're talking about that stuff. And they had, you know, pictures of all the Beatles in the control room and everybody's got their hand on a slider <laughs> and everybody's got their hand on a button and they're all working in sync. And yeah. Yeah. I remember kind of those days, but not. Not that old school, but definitely <laughs> there was no automation back today. It's everybody ready to make their moves and we're recording to tape. That's, you know, that really happened, you know. Yeah. Editing for me uh, on computers uh, was an easy transition because I already been editing tape, multi-track tape with a razor blade. And we knew all that stuff prior to the tools that we have today. And the tools we have today really came, it hasn't been that long. So it seems like it's been here forever, but it hasn't. And right. 
you know, anyways, sorry, we can move on from technology. Don't want to bore everybody. <laughs> bore everybody. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it couple, gets you back on track. It is. It's a couple of sessions just in itself. But For sure. One last note on that. And, and this has happened a few times when I'm recording at home and you accidentally hit record and, and record over something. And I have that moment of panic because I flash back to the 80s when we had an old oh, studio. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. I can just hit undo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not that anybody is going to know. You can cut this out, but if you want. But yeah, you, you don't understand terror until you've wiped up the Simpty track on a 24 track machine. And I had to wait to lock. You got to figure out and lock it up again. And, oh, what a nightmare. Anyways, seen that happen. I didn't yeah. do it. The assistant did. But anyways. Can't say that mama never raised no fool And in the grand scheme of things Well, it's safe to say I really don't know a lot Well, hell, I guess you do your best With whatever the hell you got And I know a lot about a map dot town And where we go when the sun goes down And I know a lot about what it takes To keep a good-hearted woman Benoit with a lot about a little another great song produced by Jeff Delziel all right um so getting back again a little bit to childhood you're talking about moving around a lot which seems to be kind of a common theme with a lot of people um a lot of creative people in the music industry is either a lot of angst in their childhood or a lot of music around or a lot of moving around in some cases two of those or three of those uh, um so tell me a little bit about the traveling and moving around so born in Fresno well like I 
yeah, I was born in Fresno. I can't remember what time when we left there, but we ended up moving to Vegas. Well, okay, let me to why this trek happened is because at the time, uh, my my dad was playing with Robbie Robertson, so he was his key, uh, B three guy, I believe, and piano to some degree. Uh, so we're touring across southern U.S. After, just after I was born. So we ended up in Vegas for a while, and there's probably some small little towns that I don't even aware of, not even aware of, but settled more or less. Fresno, Vegas, uh, Nashville, and then Florida, finally, and then up here. So, and, you know, music has surrounded my entire life. There's no way I could have escaped it. So I'm sure my dad loved it. My mom wasn't so thrilled about it. She was supportive, but, you know, it's still like, you know, uh, their marriage didn't work out. And for for whatever reason, music, money, who knows? Uh, So I... I was kind of caught, caught in the middle, like I'm like him and they don't get along. And so music is bad. And so I ended up like helping her ease her stress. I went to school for chemical engineering. And then, then when I, I, I don't want to do this, I want to do the music thing again. So it worked out fine. <laughs> but, yeah. It comes back. It's probably, it's probably like the, 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 the mother who's married to a cop and then the son goes yeah. on to college and then wants to become a cop. And she's like, Oh no, <laughs> exactly. But she's, you know, she's, uh, she's, <laughs> Not that she's apologized, but she's like, okay, I was wrong. You, you did it. So it's, yeah. it's cool. But she's still my worst critic when it comes to music. It's hilarious. So despite her not being musical, she has a really good ear. Like she's usually pretty right. I'll play something. I can't get any bullshit past her. It's like, I don't believe it. Well, she doesn't talk like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, that, but that's a good thing. I mean, I, I find a lot of parents kind of go the other way and oh my, my, my kid is so talented and they're so great. Yeah. And a lot of times they're not. And I think you know, you need to hear that. You need to have somebody in your life that you can trust that's going to say, you know, my, my parents could sometimes be very supportive, but they could sometimes say that stinks, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But tell you why too. And that's, I think the more important thing. Yeah. She had this thing. It's almost like she had a better sense of what's going to work with the, the marketplace than my, my own father did. So who was a musician, but I get that because we're musicians, we kind of, in our, kind of really don't care but we want to be successful so that's a lesson i'm trying to teach artists all the time we could talk about that later if you'd like yeah. to. anyways go ahead did i hope well, i yeah. answered your question no yeah for sure it did uh well and it's interesting because i think and you got a bit back to that with talking about the readily accessible technology and, and how especially during the lockdown a lot of people um are getting more and more into it because it really is a dyi world and i mean you know, from your end of, you've got the technology, you've got the music. I mean, obviously you've developed a big business sense over the years as well. You really kind of need all those things. And I know, um, you know, talking to Aaron Allen and, you know, he went on in, in great detail about you and, and what it was like working for you and the same sort of thing, almost like what you're talking about with your mother, that you couldn't get anything past you. I mean, it was, you talked about the cowboy boot camp that you put him through for a couple yeah. of years. Um, and it yeah, really, some artists, some artists love that and some artists are not so keen on that, but you know, not, uh, I don't have to talk about who, but yeah, sorry, sorry. Continue your thought. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, that, that was really kind of it. I mean, I think that's kind of the key is that you've got that strong mentor or that figure who's kind of saying, yeah, you've, you've got talent and there's something there, but I mean, if you're going to settle with that, you're not going to make it. So here's what you really need to get to. And yeah, uh, I have to thank there's, a, I've had a few, all I'm trying to do is fill the void for as many artists that want to hear my voice and talk about things. I'm not saying I'm 100% right, but I'm all I'm trying to do is fill a void that doesn't exist in our industry right now. And I'm not poo-pooing any A&R people because those people are not dealing with A&R people unless they sign to a record company. So, but there's this sort of uh, the DIY and, and the independent industry couldn't have been, it, couldn't be stronger than it is now. It was fantastic. I can explain indie when I was younger, whole other, whole other world. So uh, artists are kind of getting shoved into the spotlight without any filter system for their material. And sometimes it works for them. And sometimes it could be hurting them or, or working against them. Sure. And I come from, luckily for me, I was, that's not egotistical, but I was more talented than most people around me vying for the same opportunities doesn't mean i'm amazing it's just that you know i kind of it worked um but it it still needed to be refined and i had some fantastic mentors along the way one of them was my head of a and r at sony when i worked there i learned 
even though I was really successful going into that seat as an in-house producer, the lessons I learned from uh, Mike Roth and, and, and the head of Sony TV Publishing, Gary Furness, I, I learned some amazing things even without them telling me sometimes. Like I learned that artists, if they want to be successful, they have to stop and, and, and understand that we, up until now, we've been making music for ourselves. If we want success, we have to include the people that don't know how to do what we do. And if we're not preachy about it and we make them feel included, uh, and the more people we can include, the more successful you get. It's really that simple. It's like, if I'm going to make music that only this many people can identify with or love, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why there's jazz. I grew up, I love jazz. I played for my whole life in jazz stuff. And I, there's nothing like that feeling shredding up on there. I play, I, well, it doesn't matter who I play with, but uh, it's just that free form thing. But it is a very small demographic mm-hmm. to some degree, comparatively speaking to, you know, commercially successful sure. things. Like, so it's, it's about getting artists to understand that there is mathematics to commercially viable music. And not that I want to turn any artist into Katy Perry or anything, unless I'm working with Katy Perry, but uh, they have to understand that the wider the scope you, the wider the net you cast, the more chance of big success. And a lot of that comes down to songs. Um, and we find, I find now that uh, too much emphasis is on, on, on the artist to, to write the songs, perform the songs, be the manager, be the promoter, be the marketing. And, and we're all sitting back, everybody's sitting back on, well, let's just see how your metrics work before we do anything. And that's un- unfortunate because nobody's there to tell them that your song is your baby's ugly. Yeah. And, but I know you can produce some pretty beautiful babies. So let's, let me try to give you some tips on how I've done it in the past and how other people have worked on it in the past. And then go off, do your thing. And then when you're ready, we'll hook you up with some people that are doing it. And just sort of, basically, I, I t- tell artists, they need to tear them down and build them back up. Like tear, tear them down, get rid of the stuff that's hurting them and help them become a better musician, writer, and human being. And then, um, and it seems to work if people listen. Not that I'm a guru of anything. I'm just, again, I'm just a product of all my mentors. And so... Really, the, the cowboy boot camp is literally just a condensed version that's that I can um, tune in personally to whoever it is I'm working with. So that's kind of so every pro, every process with every artist is slightly different because I have to take their attitudes and their um, brain into into consideration as well. It's not just like a one size fits all. So, right. yeah. that's, that's, that's but it is getting them to understand that. We are making our, the, the size of our success is purely dependent on the size of the audience that will understand what's coming out of your face. Sure. Literally, that's it. So it's not rocket science, but some people constantly create it. Like they're putting the boulders in front of themselves without even noticing or knowing. So, yeah. well, that's and I just try to clear it. And if they don't want to do it, then there's lots of producers that will take your money. So <laughs> that's right. Oh yeah. There's no shortage of people who promise you the world and, and deliver nothing, but um, yeah, it's like, like, I think uh, I'm sure Aaron probably told you how long it took to do that stuff. And some artists might even get a little, con- like a little worried and concerned. And it's like, it's, why is it taking so long? Cause well, cause it's taking so long. Yeah. It took me 20 years. You talked to me like six months ago. Yeah, like I can't, there's no magic wand. You got to do the work. And then, uh, and then if you do the work, then you're going to end up being the best you can be at this time. I can guarantee that we'll make something the best thing you've ever heard. And then the world will decide. There's a great quote that you had on, on Instagram. Um, Things I know for sure for an artist, their brand and their future, the most important algorithm is constantly making music and growing an actual fan base. Um, Which I think ties into what you're talking about, but yeah, there's so much more that goes into it. And I think it's such a, today's generation is such an immediate, gratification everybody you know and because they have these tools and they see everybody else become an instant star so to speak and although i don't think most things don't usually happen instantly there's a lot going on behind the scenes and well i think the uh i think the payoff is as 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 potentially misguided uh, um 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, what seems to be successful might not be as successful as you think. And I can, I can, I can uh, qualify that statement in a second, but um, okay. So basically what I'm saying is that uh, every, you were right. Everybody's quick to be famous and that's very rarely is that going to work out. And if it looks like it's famous to you online, it's just like people look like they're having their best, like Facebook, Instagram are versions of everybody's perfect life. If it existed, right? right. It's like, yeah, I can rent the cars. I can go and take the pictures and the shots. And, and so really we all already know uh, to some degree, those platforms are really kind of dishing up a bit of fake news. So um, the, the problem, the other problem that exists um, with the social media stardom thing is these are these are worldwide platforms and i'll just tell, i i just talked about this uh on another panel once or for london music awards actually somebody was bringing up tiktok and so i just said to you like a lot of the people in the industry are sitting back waiting to see what abby's numbers are or whatever somebody's numbers are to, to jump in and do something well we also live in a time when those numbers start to mean something we don't really need any help anymore so it's a bit of a double-edged sword for these people which they'll learn but at the same time um I'll give you an example of there was an i won't say the artist but this was at sony at the time uh there was this new thing called youtube yeah. and uh we had just gone through the whole napster thing and the peer-to-peer really really did take a bite out of our business which is a whole other conversation a whole other podcast mm-hmm. but uh, all of a sudden this there's this youtube thing and we had an artist we found an artist that had millions of views on YouTube within a month with an amazing video and a great song, great guy. And Sony jumped on that and developed him for months, spent a lot of money, released it and nobody cared. Wow. And you think, well, why is that? How is that? And we quickly realized, well, YouTube is worldwide. It's a vacuum. And so there's 2 million people what's the population of the world right now billion yeah what's two two million is like not even a you can't it's not even a fraction that we care about and that small fraction could be spread across that many people in that many places in the world where do you sell a ticket where Uh do you sell where do you sell a thing and so we learned very quickly in the earlier part of the industry that those numbers are it's nice to have for promo value but it doesn't guarantee sales. It doesn't guarantee filling seats in a show or it does not guarantee a fan base. Now combine that with the ADHD factor of people. Like they're just like, now I'm going to go now. I'm going to go now. So like, just because you had 10 million views on TikTok, people forgot you like tomorrow. And so the real connection, the real, the real artists historically, even now are the ones that connect to uh, a fan and then that fan brings another fan and it's like that you grow i mean terry terry mcbride had a great speech on core audience things if anybody wants to go find that um he managed avril levine and sarah mclaughlin stuff. and so he was really big on the core fan base thing and that's because it's inherently what it's always been and it still always will be you can have some quick flash success but if you want to have a career you actually do have to connect with a fan base not necessarily in person, but you need to connect with them musically and shows and you, you know where they are and you got to kind of build from there. And eventually then you have a big enough core audience, a good fan base. You can put out something that's crappy and they'll forgive you. Yes. If you put out something crappy now on Instagram, you're dead tomorrow. And now, not only did they, they forgot about you. Oh yeah, that guy. Oh, that's terrible. Next. And they'll never say your name ever again. So yeah. it's like, it's instant gratification. <laughs> oh yeah. So I think it's even more important for artists to understand that I would rather you have a hundred solid fans that would always come to your show buy the new t-shirt and the hat than have uh, 10,000 streams on TikTok. Like it's not going to, it's the, the remuneration's better with good, small, solid fans. And there are large who cares fans. I find that, I mean, I've got, you know, like a lot of people, a huge playlist and I'll like and follow people and like and follow people and put a song in my playlist or in my favorites. But at the end of the day, there's probably only 10% of that 
those hundreds of artists that I actually listen to on a regular basis. Um, yeah. You know, the same thing with podcasts and everything else. Now, with the metrics today, I mean, you can start to see where the fan base yes, we, is. And we had to, yeah, we had to learn quickly back at Sony how, how we can, you know, monetize this. And so uh, there was companies called Big Champagne at the time. I don't know if they're still available, where you can actually, we saw data that an American band that had sold millions of records was getting dropped because their new record didn't sell millions of records, but they could show us, this company showed us the data that they had and they would, they would show the data of illegal and legal downloads combined. So one major city had 1.2 million illegal or 1.2 million downloads, probably 80% were illegal at the time, but that's that the band's fault. So the popularity was still there. The sales weren't there. Right. And so, if there's no, hey man, if you can have tons of internet success and you can find where they are, guess where you're going to tour? Because if you don't, then it was pointless. And so you're going to go, oh, well, I put out the song from, I live in Barrie and I put it out, but most of my fans are in Michigan. Well, I guess you better go live in Michigan for a while and build it out. So I think there, it's, I want to try to connect those dots for artists, really. And, and I'm never trying to be negative about it, but look, I mean, even Carly, I love Carly Rae. I've worked with Carly Rae Jepsen back in idle time the idle stuff and she put out call me maybe which is arguably one of the biggest exports this country's ever seen but it was viral it went viral at the time her second single because mm. it didn't the song was more popular than she was and i feel bad for her because she's super talented amazing awesome person and i would have loved to her have her ben, be the benefactor of that but because of you know that that swipe left thing it's like it became the song and people are singing the song and they're dancing around that's really what became the song became famous not carly and i feel really bad for that so again if she had built a fan base up and slowly and then then dropped that puppy then it would have been like all her fans would have doubled and tripled quickly but now it's like they don't even know who the singer is they're just watching this video and that to me i thought that was very sad and i don't want to see artists make that same mistake again you know
Well, that was just beautiful. That was Jessica Mitchell with Maybe It's Me, another great artist that Jeff worked with. I don't know. I was pretty young, <laughs> probably yeah. probably seven or eight, somewhere around there, I think, yeah. maybe. Something like that. Yeah. And where did you guys end up? In- Grow up, Oshawa, Ontario. Yeah, which I funny I live here again. Okay, I've been moved to Toronto, worked three years, and then came back here, and now it's nice and comfy and cozy, and it's nice, not too far. But uh, Oshawa was my grow up town for sure. So, did you do bands yourself along the way? Did you play in bands? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, girl, you know, basement bands, rock and roll. Um, I still talk to some of the uh, Pete Lesperance actually, uh, who's part of Smoking Ashes with Aaron. Yep, uh, Pete's. I've known Pete since we were fourteen. Musicians both from Oshawa. Now he's playing it, plays on all my country singles for me. Uh, washboard, everybody. He's been on all that stuff. And now he's producing and writing stuff too. He's been great with that. So a lot of Oshawa musicians are out there. And I still keep in touch and That's try cool. to get them on things. And it's kind of cool. So, and then, uh, you know, I played in a Ukrainian wedding band for years. That's how oh, I we're getting... paid for my life. It was great. And then, and then country bands. Yeah, so I was doing country bands, you know, the whole Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday matinee, Saturday matinee, Sunday matinee, Saturday night. It's, it was crazy. Like, it was always music. So, so much so that I would be in trouble when I was late for band practice at high school because I had a gig and they knew I had the gig the night before. So, like, so I've made a music teacher angry that I was busy making music. It's like that much going on. So, yeah, I was, uh, it kept me out of trouble. I mean, I just played hockey and made music and that was I didn't get into anything nefarious. So it was kind of neat. Music, music, music. Still, I'm still like that. So, yeah. So there was never any doubt. I mean, music was always what you're going to do. And there was no sort of, or had you dreamed about being a hockey player or other things? Or, yeah, my hockey, I still coach hockey. Like, I love coaching. I do house league because it's a little less stress. It's not, you know, triple A and, you know, traveling in terms. This is more like giving back and learning, teaching kids and, and having a blast with that. So uh, hockey's I love hockey. So um, I don't think, I think I kind of knew even, it got to the point where my parents were separated at the time and I was graduating, moving up the hockey rung, playing, you know, triple A hockey myself. And um, I had a pretty good record as a goalie, but equipment at the time was very, very expensive and we couldn't afford it. And it was kind of like, I don't know if I really passionate enough to just push through to be a pro, you know? Right. But I did have the connections. I worked for the Oshawa Generals at the time, um, selling programs, actually. So I knew the whole people. I knew Sherry Bass and all those people, family, friends, everything. So I'm sure had I kept up with it, I might have been able to do a tryout. Maybe I would end up on the... I was definitely probably good enough to play for the Gens. And then whether that turns into NHL, I mean, that's... It's harder to become a musician than it is... Sorry, it's harder to become a hockey player than it is a musician. So to some degree. So... um, it would have been just as hard a path. Thank God I didn't try that. Maybe I'd be certainly more wealthy. I'd have made it to the, they get paid a lot of money anyways. Uh, yeah. So yeah, there was nothing really that took me off the music path other than what I told you, my mom, that pressure of like of the schooling, yeah. you need to have a real job. You need to have a real, it's like, yeah, you're probably right. Okay. I'll go to school for chemical engineers. Did that. And yeah, it's okay. So I'd either be producing music now or making, uh, boner pills for Pfizer. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Can I say boner pills? Sorry. I, I think I, so. Other than that, I'd be making drugs for some pharmaceutical company. That's right, what right. I'd be doing. So I, I, I prefer the music part. You might've developed today's vaccine. Um, yeah. So were, were there, I mean, obviously a lot of music around you, but were there certain songs beyond and artists and bands beyond, you know, what you're being exposed to with your family and with your dad? Um, was there something that just grabbed you? and said wow this is you know i again fortunately for me because of my dad and my mom they were both my mom was a huge fan of music stuff and really really great taste so i can tell you my first the the, all i listened to for for years when i was a kid was uh um steve miller joker dark side of the moon and probably kiss alive or something and acdc that's all, like I've got them all on vinyl from, from yeah, back in the day. I, I would just, I would literally just put the, put it on, put my headphones in the dark. And that's where I, I lived probably those three or four of those records every day for years and years and years. And so right there, you can see the span of like the music, like I, I was not really, I was not gravitating towards any one specific genre of music. I just loved the way music made me feel. So, 
And so I, I do have, it's funny because I can tell people I have more accolades. Like right now I'm known quite because of country, but I have more accolades in rock and pop because of my Sony years and some of the stuff you, if you research, go look at the site, my site, you go, wow, you did that one. You did that. was like, it's all over the map. So I can, I'm comfortable producing it in any genre because my whole life has been every genre. And so I get same lessons, same plans, same mathematics. It just, as long as I get the feels, then it's right. And so I'm always as a producer trying to recreate that the feels I got listening to dark side of the moon and the pitch dark with the headphones on, you know, it's like you like until you do that. And if you, if you, anybody out there listening, you do that, put on whatever, block the sun so you can't see anything just put that on and all you have is that sense if you don't get the feels then you don't get the feels but if you do that's what i'm trying to do every time i make music and so with artists like aaron or anybody else it's like until i'm feeling at least a bit of that we haven't hit it yet and it's not my fault it's not yours i'm not saying you're wrong i'm not saying i'm right but do you feel that yet no well let's make sure we get that that's right so yeah now do you still listen music today like looking for new all the time yeah all the time yeah my morning consists of every morning i listen to the top 20 of rock pop and country so 60 songs and that changes every week a little bit so i can get used to it so and my artist will tell you that aaron would tell you the same thing that's part of the boot camp they should be doing the same thing because i want to be inspired by what's going on now i also want to be aware of what my competition is i always want to keep up with the the joneses to some degree just so but not like if I'm working, I'll listen to all that stuff, but then I don't listen to music all day. I work on what I'm working on. And, sure. and it's just sort of like a loose, all these different genres are speaking to me and there's no one thing. And so it helps me again, make what I want to do, not what Chopin used to do. Or we studied Tchaikovsky. This is what you got structured. I don't want to structure. I want to just feel my way through it and then get the feels. There you go. So the more I have talking to me in the universe while I'm working on projects, the better. So it's, um, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, I'll often just late at night, just put on some music and quietly come out to my flame table here or whatever, just chill and listen to music. Right. Or movies. I love listening to me, just watching movies because the music is always so fantastic. So even a bad score is good scores. I've got a lot of those. I made a lot of bad scores, but anyways, it's, uh, that's can also be very inspiring too. So yeah, I, I found that last few years, some of my favorite songs have been, you know, in a Netflix movie or whatever. It just, I, I can't wait till then to get to the credits and go like, who was that? And they discovered mm, it. Yes. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Sometimes being surprised that it's actually an artist. I know I just hadn't heard the song and I thought, I thought they sounded familiar, but uh, yeah. 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 There's some great stuff. I have been inspired by just watching a TV series. I'm like, wow, that's a cool drum groove. I got to remember something like that. It's like, listen to it a few times, go down, play it, record something like that. Let's put it away for later. So. Uh, it, it seems like everybody's probably looking for the next, I mean, you're saying back in the day where YouTube first wasn't taken seriously and then everybody was kind of putting all their money on YouTube and then it becomes TikTok and all these other things. And then Netflix yeah. are taking off. And um, where do you kind of see the trends going? Um, well, I, if, the, if my history of watching the ebb and flow of the industry is in any indication of the future, I can only speculate that, um, <clears throat> you know, to the rebuttal to that YouTube thing I told you about, was okay, we've got to get back to making music and promoting it and marketing it and finding unique things. And right after, you know, then we end up, you know, our lady peace records and stuff like they're huge. And like, we got back to more of that kind of thing for a while. And um, I think that's, I think people would be bitten by this for a while. They'll sign the TikTok star. They'll do this. And then they'll realize we just wasted a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to that. So I think, um, just for artists out there, if they just kind of keep afloat and keep making. So go back to the quote that things I know for sure. Mm-hmm. It's about cont- constantly making strides in your music and your writing and get better at it. It's like, I don't expect you to be uh, a great writer because I'm not a great writer. I'm signed to ATV publishing for Sony. And I, man, if somebody could show me how to write a hit tomorrow. Thank you. I've been trying for years. So it's a hit and miss. And so I try to get the pressure off of that. Just, get better and better and better and keep going. So when the industry goes, you know what? I like this Aaron Allen guy. He's got millions of streams, he's got lots of metrics. Let's pick him up and let's put in a quarter million dollars marketing and promoting. So now more people would be exposed to him. So it is a numbers game. You could have great music and not enough people are 
exposed to it, right. which is classic. I mean, there's been so many independent artists back in our day that we never even knew of. That's like, and it was only word of mouth. And that can work too, because we witnessed Metallica winning a Grammy and nobody knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then the same thing again with uh, recently was um, Arcade Fire. Like they went to Grammy and it's like, they're showing people in the audience like, Ooh. it's like, so there is, this is going back to what I'm talking about. Get, make better music, grow your fan base. That will give you a career. Uh, it's, it's, it's a longer boat potentially, but it's a more secure boat. It's not going to be leaky. So if you get instant success on one of the, whatever today's social media craze is, um, is going to be very, very short, short lived. You get your 15 minutes of fame and then the next person who can swallow 12 golf balls right. is got your, is just taking your headline spot. So I mean, I, can you imagine being a musician and every day, like tomorrow there's somebody bigger than you or better than you or funnier than you. It's like, you can't compete with that and grow a fan base. Those things are fantastic for quick promo. And then everybody who's all your fans goes, see, see we were right and then it just sort of grows even bigger and that's you know that there you truck man and I can barely wait hear the band roar from across the dance floor like they know that something good is on the way it's a Friday night like any other you walk in a stare and a stutter every single time you look at me oh, I need a fix a true companion Jimmy Beamer Jack Daniels, anything to set me on my way Drinking up my courage, whiskey for my nerves Got me drunk on your short summer dress, ballroom ballerina I'm gonna need another shot of glory, ain't no turning back Got me high on your tipsy smile and your hips all swinging We start spinning, spinning, spinning Something smart to say Take a deep breath Even though I'm scared to death I don't care Cause I just gotta know your name I need a fix True companion Jimmy Beam or old Jack Daniel Something strong to stop these shaking knees Drinking up my courage Whiskey for my nerves Got me drunk on your short summer dress, ballroom ballerina I'm gonna need another shot of glory Ain't no turning back Got me high on your tipsy smile and your hips all swinging We start spinning, spinning, spinning Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists 